0: Hey, folks, this is Clayton Collins, your host for the Housing News Podcast. And one of the best parts about podcasts is you get a little glimpse into the the real life and real personality of the guests of each episode and the host. And what you're getting from me this week is week three of pretty terrible seasonal allergies here in Dallas. I joked about it last week, but they continue to drive me crazy. So please excuse me if I'm a little off my game today. But it's hard to be off your game when you have a guest that is a smart, as lively and entertaining as today's guest lee brown lee is the broker owner of community one real estate in charlotte north carolina an independent brokerage which she started about three years ago but she's been in the real estate industry for about 23 years and anyone who is involved in the national Association of Realtors or the North Carolina Association of Realtors or uh, listens to podcasts is probably pretty familiar with Lee. Lee is also the host of Crazy Shit in Real Estate, where she has some of the most entertaining guests in real estate come on and and share stories and expertise. It It is a fun listen, and we really recommend that you check it out. But in today's episode of Housing News, we focus in on some of the expertise that Lee has built up through her 23 years as a real estate broker and agent, stuff she's learned from the Crazy Shit in Real Estate podcast and some of her learnings as being involved in the National Association of Realtors and other trade orgs and events across the industry. This is a information packed episode with Lee Brown, and she delivers information in a very entertaining and informative way. That is why we're bringing her to the stage this summer at the Gathering of Eagles, our real trends event focused on the things that are happening in the real estate brokerage market and how folks are building really impressive businesses by thinking of their businesses like entrepreneurs instead of just an agent or a broker. It's a really cool group and a really incredible conference. And we're excited to have Lee on stage. But today I really hope you enjoy this episode with Lee Brown. You're leading me right into the topics I wanted to talk about today, Lee. So um, I, it's it's fun interviewing another podcast host. The only thing I'm going to have to like work on here is to make sure you just don't turn all the questions around on me. I'm going to focus on you. So, in addition to being a real estate agent and, and broker, and the, the list of uh, involvement and accomplishments goes on, we're going to get into some of those. But let's talk about your podcast first. You're a podcast host, um, crazy shit in real estate. Give us a little glimpse into why you started the podcast. You were early on the content train. So tell us about why you wanted to start this show eight seasons ago.
1: Can I first of all acknowledge how you were so hesitant to say shit live and out loud here in a housing podcast?
0: Did I hesitate?
1: Yes. It was your maturity, frankly, showing and that you were your own up.
0: You know, I hesitated um, when we when you spoke at Engage Marketing, I think in 2018, we brought that event to Charlotte. We definitely hesitated to say shit on stage then, but uh, I think I've gotten less mature. Well, not, maybe not fully to your level yet, though. I'm working on it. I
1: mean, you've realized it's just a noun and it can also be a verb and it's kind of an all purpose, relaxed word now. But the the truth behind it is I wanted that in the title so I could have that little black box with the E in it for explicit language. And that's why it's on my podcast, which I find to be hilarious because I thought that would give me credibility with my teenagers. I'm always struggling with being a middle-aged mom. I thought that was going to be the hook. But as it turns out, they really don't care what I do. Sad horns. But the, the whole episode came out of all the networking that I do with realtors. And every time you're at a cocktail party, somebody's, y'all are never going to believe what happened to me today. And then they proceed to tell a story. And if you watch the little circle, everybody else in the circle is like, just finished talking because I can beat that. And the minute they take a breath, the other was like, well, that might've happened to you, but let me tell you this. And they always wind up with these war stories. And I was thinking, this is the best part of real estate. And we seldom tell it out loud. We tell it to one another. And then the public is shocked and surprised whenever they're conducting real estate and they stumble into a weird scenario and they think they're the only ones. And so there's this current of, It's the stories that people are fascinated by, and it creates a better reality check for what you might be going into. But then the other thing I wanted to showcase was how professional realtors manage all of these wild scenarios. And what do you do when everything's gone crazy? And one of the episodes I just recorded was with an agent who had to go to the jailhouse to get the paperwork signed because her client was incarcerated. And she's just talking about it so matter of fact, yeah, I had to go to jail and get the paperwork signed. And the public, when I get a response from this, it's always, oh, my gosh, for real. And they're just so entertained and surprised by it. But I find that it's an undervalued skill of a great realtor is they really can manage anything that comes their way. And then they they drink and talk about it later. It's just fascinating to me. And I, I love us.
0: Yeah, yeah, I heard one of your episodes where you were, and I apologize, I forget her name, but you were interviewing a woman who used to be a social worker and she became a, a real estate agent probably, I don't know, 10 or, 10 or 12 years ago and was doing social work beforehand. She was talking about how she used to work with cancer patients and divorced parents, people going through like the hardest times in their life. And you jumped right in with, well, isn't that freakishly similar to what you do as a real estate agent? And
1: that's why she's so good at it. I mean, she's a wildly skilled realtor and you start thinking about the situations we land in. And it's no different with every mortgage lender because the story that a lender puts online in that online application is not always the real story about the finances until you make it three phone calls and say, okay, you made up all of this. We've, we've got to go back to square one, buddy. What's going on here? And the same thing happens with realtors. And you think about it, it's actually a marker of terrible TV production that HGTV has gone after the easy side of real estate. They would the probably luxury, yeah, new like, new
0: like the luxury TV cash business. buyer side.
1: Right? I mean, <laughs> go for the crazy. It's, it's everywhere. It's very plentiful.
0: <laughs> All right. So let's hear, can you share some of these crazies? Like let's, what's like the craziest home buyer, home seller story you've heard of? Like, let's talk about like the client side for a minute.
1: Well, my favorite podcast episode is one of my dear friends, Steve Westmark. He's from Minnesota and he has been an icon in the business for decades. I mean, the man is a survivor and he's just a delight. And there's a story he's told for years, and it's just, it's tough to match the fact he was holding an open house for a listing for a seller and he got there. At noon, like a realtor does, you ring the doorbell, you holler, nobody responded. And so he goes to cut the lights on and set up the cookies and the water and get it prepared for the open. The master bedroom door is shut. No big deal. That's not the main part. Let's make sure that the part the buyers will enter is all set up and the open house starts and people come in the house. And then they discover that the seller is in the master bedroom and he's dead. And so Steve has to do what any good realtor would do and call the police right then. um, I'm having an open house and there's buyers in the house and in the yard and my seller is dead. So the police come. He, of course, has to stop the open house. But now he's a suspect because he's the last guy in the house when they find the body. His fingerprints are on everything because he was setting the house up. Then he has to tell the buyers you, you're gonna to need to leave, and oh well, we want to make an offer <clears throat> not going to happen right now because we don't know who's going to sign the documentation, so he gets questioned, they have to take the body out six months later. they're finally sorting out the estate, and he doesn't even get the listing because the heirs didn't want to use him because of the whole scenario and i I'm just I listen to Steve tell the story, and it's that that could be any of us it could be. Anybody, and frankly, in a in a post-COVID era, it's actually more likely because people are so disconnected from other humans and we live our lives on these little devices and you maybe don't see people in person. So would you even know if somebody had passed unless you went in the house? And, and, and frankly, I can't imagine having to walk outside in the yard and say to those buyers, hey, y'all need to leave because the seller's in the house and he's dead and the police are on the way to investigate. I mean, how fast would you scurry off that property?
0: He didn't like quickly update the listing to say like motivated seller, bring all offers. It wasn't like
1: it. Had there been somebody to sign, I guess if you were in an estranged marriage where there was an ex wife somewhere to sign, but just one dude by himself, then you have to get into all the title issues. Oh
0: yeah. Yeah. That's a, you know, that's a, that's a crazy story. Kind of a depressing one.
1: That was wild
0: and I know like I mean the the there's some amazing agents out there uh, who you know are all, often have the challenge of working with agents who don't do as many transactions or, or maybe don't follow the, the the rules of the National Association have you had any episodes where kind of the horror story is on the the other side of the transaction not necessarily like with the home or the the buyer or seller
1: there's a few but one thing I'll say about the guests I've had on the show they come in with a generally positive optimistic view on the business that you just pick up whatever slack is necessary because the other agents usually their let's see their lack of skill comes less from malicious intent and more from just straight ignorance because they didn't land with somebody who could train them or because they got into real estate with the bright eyes of, I'm going to be rich beyond my wildest dreams after working an hour a day. And then they find out you can go broke so quickly in real estate if you're not even looking. And so many realtors work a day job until they feel confident enough to go full in that they're hard to get a hold of. And I think that agents really just are used to picking up the slack. So they've They've been more likely to talk smack about their own clients and their colleagues. And maybe now that I say that out loud, that's a poor reflection. But really, it's a it's a good reflection in some way.
0: well, I mean, it's 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 bad if it's just talking smack. It's positive. It's a reflection. So like how has has the show shaped the way that you onboard new agents and the way that you train, the way that you think about building your business? because I mean, you're you're hearing you know the best and the worst from your your colleagues nationally.
1: I will say I think, um, I've got a lot more grace and understanding, but frankly, that's also because I'm medium aged and I've been in the business for 23 years. And when you're early in your career, you're a lot more judgy of the public and of your colleagues. And when you get later in and you realize everybody's got something going on that can cause them to not pay attention or make a mistake. So I feel like I am a little more understanding than I was several years ago. And I, I just, I'm always thinking, especially, well, COVID, I think, changed the perspective on that because so many people were trapped in a house with a spouse that they didn't know anymore. They were homeschooling kids and they weren't equipped to homeschool them, taking care of elderly parents. They were scared to go to the grocery store. They didn't know what to do with themselves. If you watch the mainstream news and the death toll is clicking, some people just got up to here in panic and that can react to change your reactions to things. And then in the real estate space, in some states, real estate continued without missing a beat like Nebraska, South Dakota. They never got put in shutdown. They just trucked right along here in North Carolina. We were out of work for about six weeks because we were not deemed essential. And it was a misdemeanor to be called out working. So there was this fear factor. I'm going to go broke and, I, and, and I'm and i going to die. And, and wait a minute, I'm homeschooling and I have a I don't like my spouse anymore. And people were here and you realize you don't have the foggiest idea what's happening in their house. And so I'm a realtor and I call and ask them a question. And sometimes they wouldn't answer the phone or wouldn't answer the question. And they sounded completely unhinged. And I realized it had nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with the transaction, nothing to do with real estate and just the sheer weight of what they were carrying. And I don't know that I'll ever forget that lesson because there's a there's so many adages about, you know, walking a mile in somebody else's moccasins, that old Indian proverb. And you start realizing that if you really slow down and think about the space somebody else might be in. You could you could slow your roll and be a little bit nice.
0: And you're working with people in what's a stressful time in their life. And usually when people are buying or selling a home, it's because they're they're relocating or going through a change in their their family, or um, or positive news they're upgrading, or negative news, they're they're downsizing. It's 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 a um interesting and like kind of tough emotional pivot point for people when they're buying or selling houses. Um, and, and agents see their buyers and sellers at their, you know, their worst and their best. I remember, um, our agent we've worked with several times here in Dallas. His name's, his name's Kyle. He was at, um, Briggs and we started working with him. He's at Compass now. We had a house listed with him in February and March 2020. And I remember like my wife sending him texts like, Hey, should we like maybe ask people to wear like slippers or like a face mask or something? And he's like, I don't know. We haven't like that, that people hadn't thought about that yet and like we were like working through like everyone's like own kind of craziness and uncertainty at that at that crazy time in 2020.
1: And that's so funny you mentioned that because realtors are very good at adapting. And I think that was where we actually led the way with a lot of people like you know what we don't know. So let's just go ahead and throw on some booties which I think was my favorite rule that realtors had like the covid never actually came in on shoes as far as we know but We put booties on and gloves and masks and we carried Lysol and hand sanitizer. And I remember going in a house and got my gloves on and I didn't put the booties on because full stop, one of my agents almost broke her leg on some freshly polished hardwood floors. And so I told my agents, I'm like, if there's a rule you can ignore, it's putting booties on, but take your shoes off so you don't truck dirt in the house. And I've got my mask on, I've got my Lysol and I'm walking behind my buyers and I'm cleaning as they touch and I like, don't touch anything and, and don't breathe. And, and don't, we don't, we, and, and I guess you could you don't use the bathroom and just hold it, just hold it until you get to the gas station. Cause apparently COVID didn't go to the gas stations. And so you start realizing we were just in front of everything, figuring it out. And that's one thing I do love about the business. You really don't know what's going to happen next. Cause at that same time I had some listings on the market and the market went because everybody froze You're in lockdown. Well, well, what can we do? And buyers froze and sellers like, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then about mid-April, the market went. And then it was just Katie barred the doors and you didn't have time to breathe after you got a sign in the yard, regardless of COVID restrictions. But I will say the one thing we had as a rule that I hope stays forever, we stopped having overlapping showings during COVID. And I think that's a beautiful thing. So even if a buyer only got 10 minutes in the house, it was their 10 minutes, which for some people, that's all they need just to look, process, make some notes and think. And when you don't have that rule and it's just everybody can come in, you just can't, at least I can. It's too people-y for me as an introvert. I need some, I need some breathing room. So let's, let's keep that in place, friends
0: it's like psycho like psychologically challenging for the for the buyer they either feel like oh we need to move incredibly fast cuz there's other people here and interested or they're turned off because they don't feel like they can really like um, visualize themselves in the home so like yeah i think that's a that's a positive thing that we've adapted for for the industry
1: and we should actually remind them that keeping pointy elbows is a gift in 5k's at the beginning when it's crowded but also when you're in a crowded open house get your pointy elbows out keep people away from <laughs>
0: Is that, uh, do, you, do you have a list of advice that you give your uh, your, your home buyers before you start uh, courting them around uh, open houses and showings?
1: I mean, first of all, we talk our way through what buyer agency is before we go anywhere near a house because I want my buyers to be all the way educated. Who's working for whom? Here's where the money's going to come out of your pocket in the process. Here's what the market's doing. Here's how we're going to put a plan together when we find the house. And then when we get there, I'm like, look, don't say anything because you just because they could be watching, they could be recording. We found one listing had an iPad on voice recorder that was up under the couch and they just let the voice recorder run and you didn't see it and it wasn't disclosed. And I said, they are listening because these sellers just can't stand not knowing what you think of their sanctuary. And I think we forget that sometimes in real estate because we just start thinking about, okay, it's three bedroom, two bath, built in 98, and we put the stats in our head. But to the seller, this is where. And you might not understand this, Clayton, but your wife will. This is where you take your bra off because that's what signifies the end of the official day. And that's where you're most comfortable. So my buyers to understand that, too, is they want to know what's happening. So you can't say anything because you might tick them off and then they don't want your offer or you might give away too much and then they won't work with us. And if you have to use the bathroom, most sellers understand the call of nature. But if we can hold it till the gas station, let's hold it. Because there is another agent story, speaking of my crazy shit stories, and she hasn't come on the show yet, but I'll, I will call her name out if she's listening. This is for Gina Mays Harris, and she's right here in the Charlotte area. Gina has this story about IBS and, and, and a house with clients, and it will make you Double over and laugh until you are breathless and sick. And Gina, if you're listening to this, somebody tag her in and tell her to quit dodging me because she said she would tell it on the show, but you don't know when that's going to happen. So I prep my buyers for that. And I prep them for the fact that some sellers say they won't be there and they'll show up. I prep them for the fact that the house probably doesn't look like what they saw in the photos because we are hired as professionals to take really great photos I warn them not to talk to the cats and the dogs and the birds and whatever critters are in the house. And then I also ask them, you know, kind of joking about the booties. But my daddy told me when I first got in the business, because my dad's a retired realtor, it doesn't matter what the cleanliness level is of the house. We take our shoes off when we walk in because, A, Charlotte's a very diverse cultural market. And some cultures don't want shoes on the floors. And you don't know Who lives there? So just take your shoes off everywhere. And if you have a foot issue, then put the booties on or wash your feet at night or something. But I want them to be thinking through all of those little interplaying things because there's so much more to the house than the bedrooms and the bathrooms and the square footage. And it goes back to what you said before it's this giant transaction, it's the most money most people will ever spend, and it is intensely emotional. And I watch people get on Amazon and read reviews for a pair of socks and you'll read 50 reviews. Do I buy these socks or not? They're $11 and the competitors are 10. And then they get so, I don't know, analysis paralysis. They just can't buy the socks. And then they walk into a house like, well, this house is great. I'll just take it. You're like, wait, you're going to, you're going to look at everything because we need to slow our roll here. But no, I just feel like this is the right house. I feel like my children want these bedrooms and like all the, as the young people say, all the feels come in when they walk into a house, and they don't go through picking it apart like we do small purchases. It's just wild.
0: Yeah, it's that. Uh, I think that com- competitive tension and impatientness gets into gets into sellers or buyers' heads. So, Lee, you, you talk a lot about like how you can help buyers and sellers, um, coaching them up front and understanding agency. Um, but how do you? talk to your buyers and sellers about the, the other professionals they'll work with in the, in the home purchase or sale process. So the mortgage professionals, the title professionals, a big part of the agent responsibility, or, or at least um, how it works out in a lot of cases is quarterbacking the, the team. Tell me about how your buyers work with other professionals across the uh, transaction.
1: Well, as you know, one of the biggest challenges we have, especially on the lending side. So my cash buyers, I love them. I still tell them I highly recommend an independent appraisal of the house just so they have some peace of mind from a professional, surveys, home inspections, the whole kit and caboodle. With my financing people, God love them. These buyers like to do as much work as they can before they call the realtor. And they'll say, I'm pre-approved and here's my email. like, oh, that came from Sloan or it came from Lending Bush. And then I look at that and I think, oh, God, oh, God, no, because... Those always look good on paper, but my clients just don't know yet how to watch for fees. And even if the interest rate and the fees look okay, there's a big reason I get nervous about online lenders. And that's because in real estate, something is always going to go sideways. And we just don't know if it's day one or the day of closing. And when something goes haywire, I can't get a hold of a bot or a human that's several states away. I have no pull with them. I have no relationship with them. And frankly, they're not going to be neighbors with my buyers. My local lending partners, I can go take my sharp elbow. This is the third use of it. You got 5Ks open houses and getting a hold of your lender. I can go shove it in Jordan's side and say, look, dude, I don't know what happened here. You need another VOE. And that's number five. You got to call your closer, call your processor. This has gotten haywire. He'll fix it because A, he's amazing. And B, he lives here. So he's going to see my buyer out in public and C, I can find him. I know where he lives. And that sounds like a threat. It's a promise. I bring banana bread and stuff to him because he and his wife have lovely young kids. But when you are in proximity to somebody, you have access to them. And I I just don't know that our buyers understand the sheer volume of things that can go wrong. And frankly, I blame the realtors and I blame the lenders for that because we're so busy in our marketing saying things like, I'll make this a smooth process. This is going to be easy. And here's your staples easy button. And we act like everything's going to work out. And frankly, a lot of times it eventually works out, but there are some major heartburn moments along the way. And the more localized my professional team is, the more likely I can get them to clear the deck and help my folks out. Because when things happen in real estate, they're seldom something you can solve over a two week period. You need to solve it in the next five minutes or it becomes a raging fire and everybody's completely lost their minds. I want my local people. And by the way, the fees and the numbers, have never been higher with local people as compared to a website. There's a myth that you pay less online and there's not. Now there's ease and for some people ease matters, but my guys that are local are also very easy too. And there's a, I think a misconception that there's kickbacks involved when I as the realtor say, here's a lender I trust. Here's a home inspector I trust. Here's a surveyor I trust. And of course my job is to make sure that, On my list of trusted pros, I've got multiple names in each category because, you know, there's a butt for every saddle and I don't know who they're going to fit in with. But I want to make sure that there's somebody here that knows my name and would get to know their name. And the secret sauce of all that is if I send you as you and your wife move to Charlotte, you're like, I just am tired of the Metroplex. Let's go over here to the Mixmaster in Charlotte. The team that I have is going to take better care of Clayton because they don't want to tick off Lee Brown because they know Lee Brown's going to have more buyers and sellers down the road who will need professionals. So they actually take extra good care of my people as opposed to being treated like a number. And I think that really matters. And as again, the story we should be telling more frequently that storms will happen, issues are going to rise up. And that's why I have this whole list. I got a guy. Don't stress out. I got a guy. Be all right.
0: We have a Slack channel at HW that publishes all of the new registered users for our HW events, like the Gathering of Eagles coming up in June and Housing Wire Annual coming up in October. I was just scrolling through the Gathering of Eagles feed on Slack and wow, I am blown away with the quality of the attendees. Leaders from Keller Williams, Better Homes and Gardens, EXP, Compass, Hannah Holdings, Remax and Home Services and incredible ecosystem partners like Zillow, Austin Board of Realtors, New Western Acquisitions, UWM and Bright MLS, just to name a few. If you aren't familiar with GOE, this is our real estate brokerage event for the most elite brokers, teams, MLS execs, and state and local association of realtors leaders. June 18th through 21st in Austin, Texas at the amazing Omni Barton Creek Resort. Visit the events tab on realtrends.com or housingwire.com to register. So, Lee, when you spoke at our Housing Wire event in 2019, I'm pretty sure the the panel was – the discussion point was how lending partners can better partner with with realtors and, and win that business. And I, I learned two things in that session. One was don't put Lee Brown on a panel with four other people because the four other people won't get much airtime. <laughs> You had everybody in the crowd on their feet, though, applauding at the end of that session. And and, and number and number two is that Panera Bread or coffee isn't going to win um win some LO business with with Lee Brown and the the agents that work with her. So wh- why don't you go a little bit deeper in there about what it takes to to win your business, or 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 you know talk about some of the other best of breed realtors out there of of how lent LOs can get their attention because we know on the lending side that a lot of originators took their eye off the ball on the purchase business and the agent relationship over the last several year, years. But if anyone is surviving today, they are focused on purchase and that agent relationship matters. So give us a little deeper view and how, how a, a, new, a new originator or originators have been doing it for years can get the attention of, of agent partners.
1: Well, now, first of all, I should clarify, not everybody in the room was a fan of mine that day. There were a couple really aggravated people because I was basically stepping on their toes for all their bad practices. But I've been in the business 23 years. Somebody bringing a rate sheet in my office means zero to me, particularly right now. We're recording this at the end of April 2023. So if you're listening to this later on, this is the beginning of second quarter. The rates move literally every 5 minutes i can keep logging in i can watch the yield curve move i'm watching the treasury spreads move the rates are all over the place the the sheet means nothing to me what means something to me is who can you help in my space and the lenders who come in here and say well i do fha va and conventional really that's that's amazing are you serious but if you're a va specialist and you came in and said Haley brown If your agents want to know about assumables, I'd love to do a lunch and learn for them. Well, that's when the Panera makes sense. Attach it to some actionable information because I'm old enough to know how an assumable works. And I'm old enough not to have done one in over 20 years. And so I need to be brought back around. My muscles are flabby. I got bingo wings. You got to help me tighten it back up. And there's also all of these early career realtors because this is a stat your people should know as they're figuring out how to talk to realtors, 67% of today's realtor members have never been through an economic downturn. And so when that many of them haven't been through a downturn, that means they came into the business after the Great Recession. So they don't know about things like buy downs. I mean, I have cracked up watching Instagram and people send me TikToks. I won't download it because I don't want the communists to have my face, but they are see all these little, ads out there where agents are like, oh, did you know there's this now? This is amazing. And of course, it's brand new and fresh to them because it was brand new and fresh to me years ago. But we've not trained on it in a while. You haven't needed it. Since COVID started, you've had cash buyers and heavy down payment buyers because nobody else could compete. As the market has gotten into this hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, kind of like you're trying to manage a hotel shower where you're either scalding or freezing. That's the market right now. We finally have a chance for FHA buyers to get through. You have agents that don't know what to do with those required repairs. You have agents that don't understand that process or how the appraisal sticks to a listing. Come educate them. The VA agents that are out there, they heard from the old guard how difficult VA loans are. Well, VA might be the easiest loan product to get through right now because it's the one thing the veteran administration gets right for our veterans is the VA loan process. These young people, and that's how I know I'm getting old. I talk about these young people. These
0: young people.
1: They don't know what it's <laughs> like. You can get your certificate of eligibility on the interwebs. Around here, we used to have to drive to Salisbury to the Veterans Hospital to pick it up in person, and it would take you six weeks to get it. And unfortunately, a lot of your older realtors, and y'all know who you are, you're still training out there. you said, ah, VA's it takes forever. It doesn't. It's wonderful. So I need a lender to come in and say, Let me bring you up to speed on this. Let me tell you that the VA loan can be assumed by a non-veteran. And here's what the existing veteran needs to know about. Give them some really good data points. Talk about USDA again. Those dollars haven't been getting used. And many realtors are in areas where the edge of their market area is USDA qualified. Because you and I, Clayton, we know those maps don't get updated on the regular. And so there are parts of suburbs that are smack dab in USDA which is going to help somebody in an affordability crisis that we're in. Whenever things are too expensive, look for ways to get some down payment help so that you can reduce the cash out of pocket and help them figure out how to make it work. So there's all these opportunities out there. The smart lenders will bring it to us. And it doesn't matter if you've been originating for 35 years or five minutes. If you bring information that my agents can get on the phone with to call a buyer and say, Hey, I just learned something. Did you know? that could start a conversation. That's how you get in our offices. And it's just that simple. Now, I'll, I'll just say a pro tip is if you want to bring food, ask if the office is you know, doing a weight loss challenge together, if there's gluten and dairy and lactose intolerant people, because that shows that you're thoughtful about the people in the room, which indicates you'd be thoughtful about my buyer clients as well. You also got to remember, each realtor is going to have three or four favorites on their list, and one of them is going to be the favorite favorite. It's kind of like how you love all your kids, but you love one of them a little bit more than the other ones, and you can't ever say out loud which one it is because that'd be violating until I
0: like how you keep. I like how you keep your kids guessing here, Lee. if they don't, if they don't listen to crazy shit on real estate, maybe they listen to housing news and get a little bit on edge about who the favorite is.
1: I won't I won't be surprised if I find out that one of my children listens to this and I know exactly which one it is. And turn this off, boy, and get back to your homework. So
0: But he's the favorite. If, I
1: mean sometimes. Depends on which day it is. I mean, honestly that's how it is with your kids. Well, and with your lenders too, because of my three favorite lenders, is there room for a fourth? bring me something that makes you special. And there could be.
0: So you talk about like bringing information to, to win the attention and win the business. W- one of the challenges that we've seen pretty loudly in the industry, the last couple of years, and even in the last few months on Instagram and TikTok, is the agent desire and the LO desire to be a source of information. And there's been some crappy information out there from, um from early career agents, early career originators. There's a, some, Crap spreading around about FHA FHA modifications. The three two one buy down programs couldn't have been more misunderstood. It's just like info after info after info spreading through viral TikTok and Instagram reels that that seem to um maybe be pulling the credibility of some agents in the in the wrong direction. Are you even paying attention to that?
1: Well, they get sent to me all the time because since I'm fairly visible in the business, I have people say, "Did you see this? Did you see this?" And I'm like, "What." What in the fresh hell is this? That's my favorite phrase is what in the fresh hell is this? And so I'd say if I were a loan officer, I would want to come to an office and myth bust. It's the phrase you just used. Say, look, if y'all saw these TikToks, let me explain to you why rates aren't going down to 3% again. And it's what drives me crazy is the number of millennial agents. And I'm just going to call them the millennials because it is the young people who keep telling people in their reels and TikToks, go ahead and buy when rates go back down to three, you can refinance. Like You are not looking at the failed monetary policy we're using right now, that MMT is a failure, but they don't know it yet because we're being run by West Wing CAST. You need to understand Keynesian theory, and now I'm getting way too deep for people. But you need to understand more. And so one of the videos I had that did really well in the last two years was explaining the relationship of inflation to interest rates because agents did not have an understanding for why rates were going up while inflation was skyrocketing. They didn't understand that if interest rates are not above the rate of inflation, you can't slow inflation down. Once I explained that, they're like, oh, okay, I can explain that, which allowed them to tell their buyers, hey, inflation's at 7 percent. Of course, your rate's going to be at 7 percent and they took the fear away because they had some knowledge. That's the only way we're going to go combat these really bad pieces of information out there is for more good people to put correct information out there. I mean, you can take as an example, as of our recording today, the hot news in housing is the FHFA subsidizing of low credit score borrowers.
0: Yep. The loan level price adjustment information.
1: I had a person arguing with me over Twitter and I love him. I've loved him for years. And I just I, I pity his wife because he don't listen real good. And he was saying, it's, well, it's not really a subsidy. And I said, actually, if you're lowering the cost for one subset and raising the cost for the other subset, regardless of where the start and finish line were, that's a subsidy. Now, the GSEs are flush with cash. If they wanted to use that money to subsidize the low credit score borrowers, that would not be a subsidy. That would just be a different way to direct the dollars. But it, as you know, it's all smoke and mirrors because they're wanting to buy votes with this policy. But regardless, there are ways that we as agents can take this information and use it for good. So I told my agents, I said, look, I don't care what you think about the policy. If the cost is now lower for lower credit score borrowers, you need to call the people in that category and say to them, this is an opportunity, by the way. Let's sign you up for that Dave Ramsey financial peace class, which no matter what you think about Dave Ramsey, the financial peace class is probably the best educational resource out there for people to rethink how they handle their money. Because if you're going to take a low credit score borrower and keep them in the house, because that's got to be a focus of real estate, how do we get somebody in the house and keep them there? Then this could be a benefit to many people, but we want to make sure we're thinking about beyond the lowering of the fees. How do we give them more financial stability and education so they can stay put? Everything has a pro and a con to it. I wish more lenders, instead of flashing off with, I don't like this, when they've been pricing it in since March. So let's just talk about that for a second. It just hit the news because the news is going to do what the news does. The lenders have been pricing this change in since March. And so if that's the case... We got to talk to our buyers about the opportunity, give them more tools for success, and help people make this a part of their structure. We we act so flabbergasted when policies change. Well, no, don't figure, don't get mad about it. Lean into it, figure it out.
0: Yeah, yeah, don't um, don't get mad about the rules. Just know what game you're playing and understand the rules and how to how to navigate them. I mean, that's the the ethos that I, that I operate under. And, um, I mean, we've been covering that story at housing wire for, for, for months now. Um, but finally, uh, you know, once the consumer starts paying attention, we get the the yellows and agents finally, finally digging in, but you know, that's a, that, that's another story, Lee. Um, so let's, so the real estate industry changed a lot. In your your 23 years of selling houses and and leading a brokerage, one of those trends in that that you're going to be joining us on stage this summer at the Gathering of Eagles to talk about is the shifting business models of teams and team ridges and how that's impacting the brokerage ecosystem you want to give us a little preview of what you're your' the shift you're seeing today and and how teams are operating inside of the brokerage ecosystem?
1: Well, it was funny. I had the chance to listen to Steve Murray present at an event last week, and as you know, he is the the king of having his finger on the pulse of the data in the business and I'm glad he's retiring some to spend time with the family, but daggone, somebody's going to have to fill that gap.
0: He's a senior advisor to me. He's senior. He's a, we, we've got him.
1: You've got him, but let's be honest, <laughs> he, he's, he's loosening the reins a little bit and I just want to clutch back at the reins myself. But you know, that's, that's me not, not liking change very much. I'll just be honest. But he made this really great point that in the the last set of numbers for the Real Trends 500 You saw an increase of market share for that 500 that he's never seen before. And all that demonstrates is that there is definitely a consolidation of power amongst the teams and the team ridges out there. And and it's an easy thing to see why. When you look at the last three years, and I just call the last three years the COVID era, the consumer had no idea what to do. And when they don't know what to do, they call the person they deem to be the most reputable and experienced in the marketplace And if you're an early career person, I am not denigrating you, but you have to understand my phone was going to ring more than yours because I am long in the tooth. And a lot of people would be like, you know what? I'm just going to call Lee Brown on this because I don't have the faintest idea what's going on. Well, the Lee Browns of the world can't take all the phone calls we get. And so the teams that are wise have added people or just strengthened who they have and the business migrated to them. And so it's one of those things that realtors really love to think they can spend their way to bigger market share, but you don't necessarily spend your way to bigger market share. You survive your way to more market share is a daggum truth of it. But it's also continually building that micro market expertise. And when we look at how teams are evolving, I think you're seeing more of the team leaders become the wise sage of the team and they are pouring into the agents around them and the agents aren't leaving because where else can you replace that access to somebody with experience and knowledge? And it's just continuing to consolidate there. Now, one thing that I watch as a independent boutique, I'm a tiny office and it's on purpose that my office is my team and currently another team. And that's that's it. And we're thoughtful about who comes in here because we have made a tiny little tight knit culture and it works for us. And that's not for everybody, which is the thing I love about real estate. There's a business model for anybody. But when you look at where the the future is going, that early career person comes to me because they can see how much bigger real estate is, I think, than we saw 23 years ago. When I came in learning from my dad, it was you know more signs in yards and, and more ways to hit buyers. And then with the advent of the internet and social media, we hear about things like FHFA, fee changes, and you start learning about FEMA's going to move flood zones around, there's a new flood cert, and now we've got to talk about this and talk about that, and the new agents, I think, see more quickly how broad the industry is, and they migrate to somebody that will pour into them, and a team leader is going to do that, but I was going to mention that the frustration I have is that so many of these mega teams don't do what I did and open their own shop, they hide, hide, they land under another broker. And some of us would say they're hiding, but they think that they're mitigating their own liability by hanging with somebody else. And there's going to have to be a discussion at some point about the liability of supervising people that you don't know by heart. And I know that our state's discussing it. A couple of other states have as well. Should there be a maximum number of agents under supervision, if those rules start to promulgate in our regulatory bodies That's going to change the team structure. So maybe team will split and become two or three teams or there'll be a managing broker inside the team. There's a lot of suggestions that are being bounced around as we figure out what is the best thing for consumer protection that brings the highest level of expertise to the consumer because a market like this, it's not a market where you want an app representing you. And I think the public knows that when you look at how the numbers are going up for people choosing an agent versus going in on their own which is why I really wish the people that are involved in the lawsuits at the Department of Justice would come get their license and get out in the field for a minute. They would then see how competitive real estate is and they would understand why the consumer doesn't just buy a house online like they buy that pair of socks I talked about earlier.
0: So, Lee, you you started and built your career as a leader inside of a large national franchise. How did you decide to make the jump to become an independent broker instead of launching a team or or staying inside of a franchise or large brand and i'll and i'll kind of back that up with um some of the the real trends research has shown that the economics of running a team are pretty damn good so how did you think about that decision and kind of weigh the pros and cons of your decision to launch community one
1: well i i loved the brand i was with before i still say that were i with a brand it would still be that one. i have high level of respect for my colleagues at that brand I just decided to leave right when COVID started because apparently I knew in my gut that we would have a period of non-essential service in North Carolina where I would have a chance to get my shit together. But you know, hey, I really can't take all that credit. But at the time that I broke off, it was primarily because I was paying out to a brand that this is going to sound really arrogant and I can't help it. My brand as a speaker trainer talking head about real estate is its own thing and it was perceived as competing with that brand and so that brand did not support my growth and I get that I am a unique bird when it comes to this stuff because I I do do the research and like Steve I'm a big wonky nerd looking at the data looking at everything and I talk about it after I read it And, and they didn't and so there was a on the top level, on the corporate level, it just wasn't a fit anymore. And again, I love the brand and the people, but it just wasn't a fit. And that's not a slam. It's just you go through phases in life, right? And so I decided I would just be independent and start my own little boutique. And of course, there's always a fear when you do that, that you're going to lose business and people will judge. And frankly, I'm just about past caring what other people think at this point in life. And As it turns out, my clients, because I reached out to all of them, that's one of the keys of growth in your business is talking to people you've done business with. And to a man, they said, you should have done this years ago. And I was like, for real? I'm like, oh, never occurred to me because I I had that inertia that any successful agent has of it's working. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, which is hilarious that real estate is a world of renegade entrepreneurs who do the same thing all the time and get trapped by their own inertia, but I, I digress. It was a great move. And who knows where I'll be this time next year. You know, do I franchise this and let other people do the one community in Saginaw, Michigan, or do I just stay tiny here at home? I don't know. I'll know when the Lord tells me and he hasn't made that clear yet.
0: That That's a really cool story. And I love seeing you go independent as a, as an entrepreneur, that entrepreneurial process and stuff gets me really excited. It is interesting though, how you think of like all real estate agents, professionals as this, this entrepreneurial bunch. Do you think agents like know the entrepreneurial community and demands of being an agent and a a broker, like how entrepreneurial it is when they start? Is that, or is that something that attracts them or something they just kind of figure out as time goes on that this is a, um, is a scrappy sales intensive, independent entrepreneurial ecosystem?
1: we should just say that some figure it out and some never do. Because it's wild to me that these agents out here can be amazingly successful in their relationships and they can close a deal and they get to the end of the year and they can't figure out why their P&L doesn't show a whole lot of P because they're they're not thinking of themselves as CEOs. And I think if it were just more clear and that mindset that, No matter whether you're with a giant national firm or a tiny boutique or you're a one man band on your own, you're a little tiny CEO doing something unique. And that's one of the best things about real estate is you do get to create your own benefits and values and features and you get to serve the little tiny corner of the world where you are. You probably know one zip code really, really well. And then agents forget to tell that story but then they also get into this space of, well, I've sold a bunch. I must need to open my own office. And they don't realize that opening the office means you're now going to have to deal with HR and escrow accounts. And you're going to have to deal with the real estate commission and with being a supervising broker. And you're going to have to have a copier and coffee and toilet paper. And you're going to have to figure all of these things out. Oh, and if you're still buying and selling with clients, now you've got to manage that as well. So, I think if you look at the team situation as well, your team leaders are probably the ones in the business who get this at the highest level because they're building out a brokerage inside a brokerage, most of them, because they do have professional staff and they're dealing with payroll companies and they're figuring out how to hire and fire. They're building systems for their agents to follow so they can build some consistency in dealing with the consumer public. They've really got a handle on it. And the wise ones, do watch that p all the time and they're trying to drive dollars through, whether it's you know, for profit sharing or just because they want to go buy more investment properties. And I wish more agents would think about themselves in a higher regard, frankly. I mean, I think realtors are their own worst enemy when it comes to the perception of realtors because you seldom hear a realtor say, well, yes, I'm a realtor and put on their superhero stature and they really are the superhero to that consumer because the consumer had no idea what to do next. And suddenly the realtor said, Let's do X, Y, and Z, ba-boom. But the same realtor who can confidently give advice to a buyer or seller turns around in the brokerage and gets a little lost. So it's it's interesting to watch. And when you see an agent figure it out, they they suddenly look at their business in a different way. And the the ironic part of it is they go from offering a really good experience to offering a different and more excellent experience because now they're seeing that big picture. And frankly, that's when we hope to get them involved in the volunteer side of the business because we need more agents who can see that big picture and understand the intricacies of brokerage to be leading through the trade association so that we can make sure we're thinking about the brokerage of the future and the team of the future and the agent of the future. And how do we serve them? Because without those people, the consumer is going to get lost. As, frankly, I worry that the future of the American dream is at stake because so many agents don't see their own value. And I can tell you right now, I could list off the people who, when we went to closing, they said, well, thank heavens, couldn't have gotten here without you because it's just so time consuming and so big. And every agent has that list. But they forget to look back at it and remember what they're bringing to the table.
0: Oh, in articulating the value prop. I, I just recently had to talk a, a friend off the cliff of trying to buy and sell without an agent. And um, their understanding of the value prop was com- completely misaligned. I don't know if I fully got through to them, but um, hopefully they don't listen to this podcast.
1: If they decided to go off on their own, though, Clayton, they're going to figure out really quickly what they're not saving And they're going to figure out really quickly what they could have gained by having a competent professional by their side. And I wish we had a data point on it. We should say, I know Steve's going to listen to this. I wish we knew, Steve, how many people after completing a for sale by owner or a for purchase by self transaction, how many of them would confidently say, not in the slightest chance would I ever do that again? I'd love to know that data point.
0: That's a great study. We'll get, uh, I'll, I'll make sure Steve and, and Tracy hear that one. And um, that'd be a good gathering of Eagles topic too. So for your, for your session this summer, we, uh, we need to, I'm going to urge you to you know, talk about the future of the brokerage business model. Um, I know we're talking about teams and, and team ridges, but the future of where that's headed is going to be a, an equally important conversation. And, I guess I'm I'm pretty fortunate with with Real Trends and the housing Wire audience and the Altos research audience that we talk to the agents who understand like that this is a business and they're in their building a business and like the folks on the rankings are the ones who've kind of like figured out the entrepreneurial side of understanding their P&L and you know doing some competitive recruiting and M&A it's a it's a it's a entrepreneurial and sophisticated bunch that we cover through Real Trends and um
1: and by the way can I just say speaking of entrepreneurs what a smart move you guys made, picking up Altos from Mike.
0: Picking up Altos with Mike. Mike is a big part of our story still. We're thrilled to have him on as the president of Altos here inside of HW. He
1: does post a lot more vacation pictures now. He's working <laughs> remotely. But, you know, I've been a fan of Altos since Mike rolled it out because I'm pretty sure I met him. <laughs> this will date me. On Active Rain, when we all got Active Rain started yeah. back in 2007. I was in that early group when there were not even just a couple thousand of us on the platform before it went big. That's where I found out about Altos. And I've been a a subscriber ever since then, which means I probably paid for those vacations that Mike's taken. (laughs) But I loved seeing that sharing of data to bring in a more cohesive picture. And I think that's going to give us more good information from y'all in the future. So high five. That was a good call.
0: I appreciate it, Lee. Well, we're thrilled to we're thrilled to have you as a client. And um, next time Mike is out skiing in Tahoe, I'll remind him that you're you're part of his success story.
1: He remembers. I tweet him back every time he posts some little skiing picture.
0: <laughs> All right, Lee. I will see you in less than two months in Austin, Texas. Thrilled to have you at the Gathering of Eagles this year and excited to talk about the future of real estate brokerages and uh, you know, see some of this incredible knowledge that you've built up in the Charlotte market get spread across the country.
1: Well, I'm always glad to help and participate. And I look forward to seeing you and hearing some more data that I can put into my presentations.
0: <laughs> Boom. We'll share some crazy shit on stage. Have a good one. Thanks. Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the housing news podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.